Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. On today's podcast, I review the new Jude Law Carrie Coon movie, The Nest, Rachel Melanta is back with her segment spin-off, and Rove returns to discuss episode 6 of WandaVision. I'm your host, Justin Hamilton, and you're listening to Big Squid. Crazy podcast today with movies, books and TV covered and then what is certain to be a controversial return from Rachel as she not only rates her favourite versions of Doctor Who uh, in the modern era, that is, but she also tells us which aliens the Doctor has probably had sex with. I'm guessing you will agree, disagree, be impressed and flabbergasted as to where this conversation goes. I'll talk about that a little bit more when we get up to that part of the podcast. Uh, we also have Rove returning for his thoughts on episode six of WandaVision. Damn, that series has been great, hasn't it? It's really taken me by surprise. I hope you're enjoying it as much as we have. This might be the most fun I've had with a Marvel production for a while. And, you know, I couldn't really work out why. Like, I really enjoyed Infinity War and Endgame. I think they're to be commended for just how crazy they are. Like, if you put that down on paper, you think, you're never going to make that work. And then they made it work. And that, I feel that way about a lot of the Marvel products. Not everything's a winner, but when it does work, you think, wow, how how did that come together in the way that it did? I've enjoyed the Spider-Man movies. I think they're fun. Same with Thor Ragnarok. But I've gotten into this series so much more. And I think it's because it's the first time I felt like I'm reading a comic book event where each issue is released weekly. Like, if you read a comic properly, like you can flip through it and do it in minutes, but if you kind of read it properly and look at the artwork and, and take everything in, it can take about 20 minutes, and these episodes are about 30 minutes, so feels like a, an old school event. 
Anyway, more thoughts on that later in the podcast as well. Uh, first, I want to tell you about a book that I haven't even finished yet, but I can't wait to share a few thoughts with you before doing a proper review once I'm done. So I've been reading Ryan Hughes XX, a novel graphic. <laughs> in case you think I had a stroke and forgot how to speak, that's the actual title, XX, a novel graphic. I hope you even noticed the pause for the comma between novel and graphic. Anyway, Hughes is an amazing artist with his skill set, including being an author, an illustrator, a graphic designer, a comic artist, a typographer, and he brings all of these skills into play for his book. Now, the reason I bought it was because I saw a quote from my favourite author, Grant Morrison, who said, this is the best genre book of the last 25 years. Brilliant, exciting, absorbing and mind-blowing. A perfect work of art about what it means to be human in a world of gigantic ideas. As you can imagine, that pressed a lot of my buttons. Uh, so I bought the book and when it arrived, it was massive, like 900 plus pages. And I immediately looked at it, put it to one side because I just didn't have the headspace to tackle such a weighty tome. I also didn't feel like working out when I read the book. Like this thing is heavy. Like it's it's so heavy it makes Richard Feidler's books look like holiday pamphlets. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. If you saw the live show, you know that I work out with his books. Anyway, the cover was so alluring that I couldn't help but flick through it. And since that moment, like I literally flicked through the first few pages, just, you know, kind of read them, wasn't really even committing. I was standing up, you know, just, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. And since then, I've had to make the literal conscious decision to put it down, to get on with work, or I've had to decide well, are you going to catch up with friends or are you going to keep reading this book? And sometimes the book has won out. It's great. If you're keen to read it, and I'll give this a proper review once I'm done, the premise is a mysterious signal of extraterrestrial origin is detected and an artificial intelligence expert is brought in to try and decode it. But when the expert and his team enters the place the signal encodes, they discover that place is already occupied. And you know what, I'll leave it at that. Part of the fun is not really knowing where this is going and being amazed as the story reveals itself. It is also incredibly beautiful visually as it incorporates different types of fonts for different characters and different settings. It incorporates NASA transcripts. NASA? Oh God, my Adelaide accent really kicked in then. NASA transcripts, newspaper and magazine articles, fictitious Wikipedia pages, indecipherable alphabets. It's even got a forgotten novelette from the 60s that foreshadows events in the book. And all of this in the service of a compelling story about what it means to be alive and what it means to be human. It even has on one page a little QR and if you click on it with your phone, well, it opens up something which I will leave you to discover. I'm not telling you. Find out for yourself. It's cool. Anyway, I'm halfway through this book and I am loving it. I will give you a complete review once I am finished. And I have a feeling that review will come up pretty soon. Right, let's head to the movies and talk about Jude Law and Carrie Coon in The Nest. Things are dried up here for me. Oh, yeah! 
there's an opportunity. Where? London. This will be our fourth move in ten Turn years. backwards. But money's fine, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. This is a fresh start. How about this? You shouldn't be working for someone else. Be your own boss. Build your own place. Own your own horses. Something doesn't feel right. It's not your job to worry. You leave that to your husband. It scares me that you actually think that. So, you're back here full time? Oh, yes. We've just bought a beautiful farm in Surrey, and we're thinking of a pied a terre in Mayfair. <laughs> It's just small talk. I saw some deposits you made. It's nowhere near what you're spending. Don't worry. I have a huge check coming in at the end of the month. <laughs> Everything's going to be fine. Is it? You're delusional because you have nothing, Rory. We have nothing. It's horrible here. No one is the same There's here. Nothing, nothing wrong is the same with here. This house. People seem to want everything and expect every need to be fulfilled. What is happening? You're all strangers to me right now, all of you. You're embarrassing. And you're exhausting. I didn't quite know what to make of The Nest when I saw it last week. My main reason for checking this film out was because I love Carrie Coon, as anyone who joins me for the rewatch of The Leftovers will soon discover. You are going to hear me talk about her a lot. Nora. Ah, Nora. Anyway, uh, I love her, and I really enjoy Jude Law in a lot of movies as well. So that was enough for me to check it out. And I went in, and I didn't watch the trailer. I didn't read any synopsis. And... While I was sitting in the cinema, much to my surprise, as the movie progressed, it turned out it was a horror movie, right up until it wasn't, but then it was. Is that confusing enough for you? Okay, let me explain. The opening of the movie is a familiar one for horror fans. A happy family buys a beautiful property, but once they move in, something isn't right. There's a mysterious force that appears to be attached to the home, and we begin to see the family unravel before our eyes. Set in the 80s, Jude Law plays Rory, a successful New York stockbroker who moves his family back to the UK to take advantage of the economic boom that has occurred under the Thatcher regime correct use of the word regime as well, <laughs> in case you wonder where my politics lie. His wife, Alison Carrie Coon, is a horse trainer by trade, and she's uncertain about this move, but Rory is so sure that this is the right decision, she follows him with children in tow. The eldest, Sam, played by Una Roche, lives in the twilight of her teen years, not yet an adult too old to be a kid. Sam is Alison's daughter to a previous marriage. Their young boy, Ben, who's played by Charlie Shotwell, is a carefree kid who ticks all the boxes for your typical happy lad. They move from their happy life in America to return to the UK, and Rory is convinced this is the opportunity that will take them to another level of wealth. But then as the global stock market 
gains begin to level off, Rory's dreams begin to crack, and while his family fall victim to his disease of more, his desire to be at the top of the heap starts to hurt them. Starts to hurt them in ways that is subtle to begin with, and then becomes awful. Law is brilliant in this role, his ability to oscillate between pure charisma and charm to an unbearably pathetic mess is a sight to see. Carrie is just as good as she plays her role with class and a savage intellect, but you can also sense her unease and anxiety bubbling away very close to the surface. The two younger actors are also just as good. Actually, the whole cast is fantastic, and it's a real statement about what happens when you try to Climb the ladder of wealth when you come from a poor background and how it can warp who you are and how it can make you start to concentrate and focus on the wrong aspects of life. Now, this might sound like a nasty viewing experience, but it's also peppered with bittersweet comedy, it's romantic, it has carnal interludes, and it also has enjoyable conversations between people you feel like you've met throughout your life. Like, there were many times that I was sitting there going, yep, I've met him, oh yeah, I know her, oh my god, I've been that person. (laughs) As I said earlier, I thought this was a horror movie, and then I thought it wasn't until I realised it had been all along. Horror stories don't have to be about demons and devils. Sometimes a horror story is about the reality of the world, when someone turns out to not be who you thought they were, and how a home can feel like a trap you are incapable of escaping. I love The Nest, and thoroughly encourage everyone who listens to this podcast to check it out whenever they can. Now let's turn our attention to episode six of WandaVision. What is it, Billy? Are you ready? He's in trouble. It's not like your dead husband could die twice. What? Full of surprises. <laughs> I'm fine. Now the Avengers. Are you here to help us? Why would you think that? <laughs> I think a few unsavory characters settling in the neighborhood. Are you here to help? Something's wrong here. There's no need to get dramatic. Did you really not see what I saw? She recast Pietro? We've landed in the 90s with a Malcolm in the Middle styled opening, but it turns very dark very quickly. A Halloween episode that allowed not only the Scarlet Witch to dress in her original comic costume, but also Vision and Quicksilver to dress like their original 60s counterparts. We saw the beginning of the twins' journey to become the young Justice heroes Wiccan and Speed, and meanwhile our heroes outside were banished from sword facilities, but not before Monica's DNA suggested she's about to get some light-based powers, just like her comic counterpart, Photon. Also, Vision tried to escape the world Wanda has created, but it appears he can't exist outside of that bubble. Meanwhile, Pietro is seeming less likely to be the Fox version and could actually be our big bad guy. Once again, we have potential references to Mephisto with Billy quite scared of their uncle. Billy is, of course, the magical twin, so he might be more attuned to what is going on. Pietro also says that the world Wanda has created is charming as hell and tells the twins to unleash hell, demon spawn. In their original comics appearance, the twins were created from parts of Mephisto's soul. He also tells Wanda that she can tell him anything. 
which is the type of thing a devil would try to do to an unsuspecting victim. Two more things. Pietro wasn't conjured by Wanda. He just appeared. He also says that he died like a chump after being shot, which isn't true because Pietro died a hero, saving people in Age of Ultron. Finally, the shark in the advert is blue and white and uses the term little dude, just like Pietro. The kid in the advert also dies after nine days because it can't open the pack. So is something awful going to happen to the twins if they don't, as the advert says, snack on yo magic? (laughs) You never realise how white you are until you have to say yo. Finally, I know Pietro's hair was an Easter egg to his original haircut in the comics, but on some angles they kind of looked like horns, didn't you think? Interesting that Westview is beginning to come apart at the seams with movies at the cinema, including The Incredibles and Parent Trap, which were both released decades apart. I wonder if, like Parent Trap, the twins will swap roles to save the day. Also, the game Dance Dance Revolution wasn't a 90s game, so things aren't going to script in there. For those of you enjoying the idea that Agnes is the witch Agatha Harkness, how about her dressed as a witch for Halloween? I also enjoyed when Pietro had the word kick-ass used in conjunction with him because Aaron Taylor Johnson was not only kick-ass in the movie, but Evan Peters was also one of his co-stars. This wasn't one of my theories, but I saw someone posit online that maybe Captain Marvel having shorter hair in Endgame is because she shaved it in solidarity with Maria going through chemo. That's interesting. I quite like that, even if it's a, a retro idea that's put in after the fact, but still... It doesn't matter how the story works, as long as the story works, right? And maybe that's why Monica has issues with Carol, because she wasn't there when her mother died, but instead she was out protecting the universe. There's definitely something going on there. There's a bit of frisson. We also had a reference to Monica's aerospace engineer friend. Ah, could that be Reed Richards? I want to see how they do Reed Richards. I don't know how you can do Reed Richards. Like, I understand every part of him, except the stretchy, bouncy bits. Ah, so many questions and discussion points. Let's bring in Rove. So the big question I have for you is, are you hoping that Darcy turns into her character from Two Broke Girls? <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Sitcom, sitcom Darcy, that's already the fact that she, as she's going, as the, the hex, I guess, is taking her over, Um that she obviously goes to swear and it turns it into fudge. <laughs> I was already going, this is fantastic. And f- for a, a show that is very happy to go deep on stuff and whether we find out that Quicksilver is X-Men Quicksilver or just a facsimile thereof, we're acknowledging so many things in the greater world outside of Marvel. There's part of it that's like, that would be so fantastic. Or certainly some version of that. Yeah, she's a waitress or something. She's so good as well. So I'm, I'm up for her being a part of a sitcom world now. Uh, what do you reckon it'll be? Will it be, I was trying to work out the era. Do you think it's like going to be Modern Family or is it going to be The Office? It, it, some talking to camera stuff? I think we'll get into that, yeah. It'll be what uh, The Office started that then became Modern Family, Parks and yeah. Rec, that sort of, it's a faux documentary and we've already had this week the Malcolm in the Middle parody where we're breaking the fourth wall and talking to camera. We'll start getting in those little asides where people are 
mockumentary style. We're shooting all this footage, but then we do the little side interviews as well. I reckon that's where we're headed. That's, isn't that part of the fun of this is also how we got, how, how does each episode get presented now? Really entertaining because as soon as the credits started and it was like Malcolm in the middle, you, you've already got a little jolt of excitement before it starts. So I'm starting to think that there's two villains in this series. Uh, so first of all, let's have a look at uh, Pietro. I reckon he's starting to feel less like his Fox counterpart and more like something else. And what do you think's going on there? Uh, yeah, I'm starting to get the picture that while this is Wanda's creation, it's maybe not necessarily her doing. Does that make sense? So this, this you know, it's, again, this idea that she's been given this opportunity to overcome whatever pain that she's been through emotionally and whatever trauma by living in this, in this bubble world that she's been given. Um, and, and he is, he is part of that. Cause it seems like this is the first time apart from vision, but um, Pietro's character really wanting to go. So where have you been, where were you hiding all the mm. kids? Uh, so tell me why all this has happened. And she's even questioning him with, do you remember then what was the name of that kid at that school we went to just to find out is he who he says he is? So whether this whole construct of the Westview world is like a trap that has been laid to get information out of Wanda or something out of her and Pietro is the plant that has been sent to get that information, whether it is, I am Mephisto in disguise or I am other some other minion. I wonder if Wanda's actually been protecting the children, if she's known that there is some sort of demonic force that is, you know, influencing what's happening in that place. And maybe this whole time she's... The reason there haven't been any kids is because she's been keeping them at bay to make certain nothing bad happens to them. Mm. And in the same way that she widened out the hex when she found out that uh, uh, that vision is has gone beyond the border. Like how much of that is her? It, it, you know, the sign of the hex is there to protect in a way, and maybe that's why we've got this. This, you know, the, the children have been kept at bay. Interesting that we see all the people who are on the outskirts of town don't have any kind of control. Dear God, that shot of the woman putting up her washing and she's just stuck in this perpetual loop with a single tear rolling down her cheek it's the bleakest thing i've ever seen that felt like a metaphor for me (laughs) yes i've been in that gig i'm just going through the motions just with the tear rolling down my cheek as i feel that internal pain um but obviously uh i think it was last week she said oh well i'm controlling everybody and i'm setting up their dentist appointments as as vision was kind of accusing her of, of setting all this up So, yeah, I don't know that she is the mastermind behind this. And now we're seeing Hayward has this file on the town, um, but it seems he's following Vision. He's tracking Vision. He's not interested in Wanda. Uh, The the file name, Cataract, which is to do with sight and vision. The advert as well was pretty dark. And, you know, is there going to be something in if these kids don't snack on magic, they're all going to die? (laughs) Like, this is taking a turn. (laughs) In a major way. 
Look, we've all struggled. I, I thought where it was headed was we've all struggled to try to get the peel the lid off some sort of yogurt or sometimes it's when you're on a, a plane and you get that little, remember planes, remember when you'd get on a plane and you had a little sing, single serve disposable milk and you'd go to pull the top and the whole thing would pop and it would just go everywhere. I was waiting for, yeah, the poor guy's going to spill his yogurt in the sand and he gets nothing. But the idea of he couldn't even open it and it's just all this time goes by and he dies. It was, uh, yeah, that, that again, everything's get, it's getting dark. Things are getting really dark. We're seeing insights into the people in Westview and the pain that they're all under as well. Um, these ads are getting darker. We're seeing flashes of, you know, people's deaths, how, you know, light and fluffy it was in the, in the fifties era of the show, which I guess is, was the era and television lived that that's how it was portrayed. You know, a married couple was not even allowed to be seen sleeping in the same bed on camera. Uh, it makes sense that as the, it's almost like the, as the, world is starting to unravel the, the Westview world is starting to unravel or as the cracks are starting to form in this idyllic life that has either been set up by Wanda so she can have, have the memories of vision and her brother and the, the perfect life she wish she could have or whatever the reason it's starting to crack and it's being mirrored by the maturing of the type of television show you would see that means you can get darker you can have the dog dying you can have you know scary halloween episodes and things like that so it's starting to have me go geez who who's in control here what's in control is it the tv show is it wonder is it someone else uh is it an if, if is it even just the people at sword they've got something to do with it like we still I still feel like, yeah, we, we, we'll get that answer, but it, it really could be anyone. It, it feels definitely demonic, even if it's not Mephisto. You, you know, as we keep talking about, it's meant to dovetail into the next Doctor Strange movie. So you could have Dormammu come back. I felt like there was a, like a, a papier-mâché Dormammu in the Halloween scenes in the background at one point. Or it could be Nightmare, uh, who is a Doctor Strange villain who lives in the land of dreams and feeds on the psychic energy of people when they're asleep. But, you know, uh, Pietro uh, has the same colours as the shark and the shark acts kind of rad the way that uh, Pietro acts. And then, you know, he keeps referring to the kids as hellspawn. He's got devilish behaviour, running around, jumping up and down on the on the pumpkins. There was a lot of that, and especially calling the twins uh, yeah, Ray, Ray's hell devil spawn which is like, geez, could you be more obvious than that? Because in the comic books, they are, um, I think they're a physical offshoot of... I think they're the demon uh, Master Pandemonium's hands, but they have the souls of Mephisto. (laughs) Because comics. Yes, that's right. (laughs) Because comics, exactly. So, yeah, it's always that thing of how much is that just a red herring? Or how much of it is, well, okay, for people who are just watching this TV show and don't quite understand the full folklore of the comics, we're giving you all these clues so when the reveal happens, you can go back and appreciate that it was all there and hiding in plain sight. Um, But, yeah, that that part of it was all really, really interesting to think, okay, so that's who the big bad could be. But, yeah, there's, there's still no guarantees, is there? Because there's a lot of a lot of 
imagery in there. The one thing that I also thought was interesting this week was with uh, Agnes, when she had her moment, you know, again, she's dressed as a witch as we came up with last week is that just playing to everybody's fan theories or is it a legitimate sign that she could, she, she of who she could be. But in the past, she's been quite self-aware of that she's in the show, her and Herb talking over the fence, like, you know, uh, when Vision came out a couple of episodes ago and Agnes was the one who turned around to Herb and said, oh, no, let's not talk about, you know, what happened when Wanda's not here. Uh, last week she was saying, hey, do you want me to do that line again? Because he screwed up his bit. And then this week all of a sudden she's trapped in the show and doesn't know when Vision has to snap her out, when in the past she's been very self-aware. So is was that her just playing a ruse to get, to get vision on side. Also at the crossroads as well, which is usually a place that you meet the devil to make some sort of bargain, which was kind of fascinating. The, yeah, it's, it's planting all of these seeds and it, it feels like, you know, like the best kind of stand-up routine has jokes that the audience gets as you're saying it. So I'm wondering if they're laying these things. So when we, do the reveal there's stuff that makes us feel good about ourselves because we went yes we did think it was Mephisto and then there'll be something that takes us by surprise yeah it's been suitably done to uh to have you go yeah whatever theory you've come up with is probably going to be right because this was spraying so much stuff out there it's not just all roads lead, lead to Mephisto it could be multiple options um which I think could at some point mean that, well, you took, you know, you took a guess because you used pretty much every name on the list as to who it could be. But the other great thing is there's still so many other things we haven't, uh, we haven't sort of properly worked out yet. Like when, when is this actually happening? Um, the idea that, uh, what's the one I picked up on this week? Oh yeah. Monica keeps talking about my guy, my guy who's coming. And there's a couple of times she's mentioned that I've got a guy on the inside. I know a guy and you're like, okay, who could that be? It could be War Machine. It could be um, part of me is like, is it Reed Richards? Is this how we get the Fantastic Four in? Um, I'm also not ruling out the idea of the big bad being Magneto. It could be that. Like this is maybe how we get the the X-Men in there. Because am I right in assuming that the MCU, the you know, the in the movie sense, hasn't acknowledged mutants. We don't have mutants. We have people with superpowers. No, no, mutants were owned by Fox. So they, that's why in in uh, Avengers Age of Ultron, they were allowed to use Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch because they appeared as characters in the Avengers, but they weren't allowed to talk about mutants. They weren't allowed to talk about any of those characters. They weren't allowed to be. How they got their powers. Yeah. So whether this is a you know, a way of bringing all of that into the Marvel Universe or not. It's interesting. I have a theory on that, which is, so, you know, Monica's DNA is changing. So that means everyone in Wanda's world is having their DNA change as well. So is this the way that they introduce mutants into the world? Because Marvel likes to take stories from the comics and give them a spin. So, you know, in Captain Marvel, the Skrulls 
weren't bad guys. You know, that was a little spin that they did there. So in House of M, Wanda took away the mutant power, but I wonder if in the MCU she's going to be the reason it, it she births mutants and then, uh, you know, are Tommy and Billy the first mutants? Because they're the first... Uh, characters we've seen born with powers and then if they're playing the long game you know in 10 years time once the stink of the FU's done and you know you can start to introduce mutants into the like that's how you reboot for phase five or something like that well now we've engulfed all of the ancillary well we've got the townsfolk anyway that have been sitting there like you say we've got all the um sword military personnel have been brought in as well um, so, you know, you could say, yeah, that's, that's affecting some of the people there. Um, I certainly think that's exactly the point of Monica. She's come and gone and come and gone. So it seems that's exactly where we're leading to is how she gets her powers. So that makes sense. Um, yeah. Cause I, and, and how much they want to put on giving an origin story to, yeah, this is, this is how mutants came about or not, because it's not. I don't think it's necessary, but, geez, it would be a cool thing if they do it. It's hard to retroactively introduce them because then your first thing is, where were they for the Battle of New York? Where were they when, you know, they're already going to have to try and, like, they're going to have to come up with something tricky to answer that for the Eternals. So how you, you know, you can't play that card twice. So maybe this is the origin point and then that allows the homo superior thing to kick in and it just starts to give them somewhere to go down down the track and they're not afraid to do like a five-year jump like they did with endgame so yeah and, and also let's be honest they will want to uh restart all of that and put their own stamp on it they're not just going to say okay now that we've got all of our ip back uh and that means we can, we can have x-men and we can have wolverine um, and and Fantastic Four and, and all the other things that we've missed out on, it doesn't mean that we're just going to say that all those slew of other movies that happened over the past, you know, 15 years is in any way acknowledged by us. <laughs> so that we, you know, yes, they happen, but, but uh, you know, we are the ones who have made this genre something. We are the ones that have created... This well, we, we don't acknowledge that anything happens on the DC side, and if even if they were to acquire all all those characters, they'll start again and they'll turn them into what they want them to turn them into. They're not going to suddenly, you know, turn around and go, okay, how do we fit uh, Wolverine into this because he's never turned up before? They go, no, we'll just start again. We'll just start again. Uh, and this is how. And we Hughes do it. back eating lasagna at this very moment, <laughs> sleeping until seven. <laughs> Look that. And then he would look like that woman hanging washing on her line as he's doing doing reps, but it would be he's just doing a bicep curl and that's the same tear rolling down his cheeks. But yeah, that part, that part of it is really, that's really interesting to me, is the, okay, so I don't think, I still am not convinced that Vision is actually alive. It's just, is it the idea of Vision? Quite clearly, he has no memory of who he is. He's like, what's an Avenger? What do you mean I'm an Avenger? And what do you mean I'm dead? That makes no sense to me. So that's really interesting. The fact that some of the characters in Westview need to be snapped out of their haze where then they can become 
like uh, Vision, uh, Vision's co-worker where he's like, oh, God, you've got to stop her, you've got to stop her. And then he's like, hey, let's get back to this stat sheet. But then Agnes and Herb are across everything that's going on. Like Herb saying, oh, do you want me to change? Is, are you happy? Is everything okay? Do you, is, is there anything we, you, know, you, you want to change? Like just let us know. So he's, he's across it, which I also find very interesting because his character is head of the neighbourhood watch. So he's watching the neighbourhood. So who is he? And on the, as far as I can recollect, on the board of people who are in the WandaVision show within the show, the, let's say the Westview population, that the sword personnel are have found, you know, their real identities and have shown, okay, here's who's been cast. Agnes and Herb are not on that list as far as I know. So it seems, okay, well, well who who are they and where are they playing into this game? And same with Pietro and he, him saying, oh, I don't remember anything either. You summoned me and here I am. So it's all that. We also know that Wanda didn't summon him. Like when he turned up. She's just as surprised as anyone. And suspicious. And suspicious. I think one of the things that Watchmen did really well was it set up all these things that you wanted answered and then it did things like, oh, and by the way, Dr. Manhattan was this character for seven episodes. And you go, oh, I didn't even know that was going to be a thing. And that's what made me start thinking about this having two lots of villains. Like Sword, uh, as you already said, uh, Project Cataract is really interesting because, as you know, as you said, a cataract affects your vision. Uh, they used to do spaced... Uh, uh, manned space missions and now they're into robotics nanotech and sentient weapons so maybe there's like two bad things going on at the same time and and you wouldn't put it past anyone at marvel to go yeah we've got uh because falcon and winter soldier is a, is the next series that will happen the disney plus series so we'll need something for that as well as the um, movies that are coming, You've got Doctor Strange and, and uh, a world of others coming. So it's not like, you know, we don't just need one big bad. We, we're, we're suddenly, you know, they're spreading out everywhere like a hex. They're going out like we're going to engulf, engulf all of television as much as we're going to engulf all of film. So, yeah, they've got to get and, and there's no reason to think that the reveal at the end of this is just everything leads to Doctor Strange. I see no reason why there wouldn't be splinter sideline stories as much as they have at every end of every film in the past. Here's your little post credit sequence that sometimes is teasing to something that's two, three films ahead. So sure, you know, like Hayward's, re- he's a really interesting character um, from the sword side of like, we are, I was, I was holding down the fort while you were all gone. I was looked after your mother's legacy. You don't know what it was like. You know, he's, he's kicked the, the you know, the, the three of them out. Uh, and uh, so even he is a big bad. It's like, okay, what's his motivation? And Sword had Vision's body. Wanda's come to get it. How much of that was a trap to lure her in to do what they wanted? Like, is, is, part, of, is part of this setup in the hex to create mutants, nothing to do with Mephisto and who's been maybe, you know, getting in Wanda's head. But this is swords set up to have mutant, you know, to have their own uh, army of people with superpowers to battle 
all of the superhero Avenger types that are out there. What is it? You can dissect a frog and learn everything about it, but you can't breathe life into it, and which is also runs for jokes. You can dismantle a joke and then can never put it back together again for it to be funny. Maybe they dismantled Vision, couldn't bring him to life, and they they lured her in and then thought, well, maybe she'll do something that will bring him back to life, but in the process has woken something up that they weren't expecting, and this ex- this trap has gotten out of their hands. Exactly. It's an experiment gone wrong. That's, that is absolutely, absolutely. Ask the guys that invented the atom bomb. With the adverts, it feels like, you know, the first ad references Stark, and it, that was... It feels like it's talking about Stark bombs killing her family. And then the second ad was the Strucker watch and Baron Von Strucker did the tests on the siblings. And then the third act was the Lagos wipes, which is the accident from Civil War. So the shark giving a starving child (laughs) magic is like, it does kind of make it feel like Maybe, like, I'm still leaning towards Mephisto. By the way, the kid lasts nine days before dying, and this series has nine episodes. Oof. Oof, that's great. Um, the other part of that, that's that's where I got distracted. I, I, if I sounded like I lost my train of thought before talking about big bads, that's why. So the slogan, and I should have written this down, the slogan for the yogurt commercial was Yo Magic keeps you alive or something like that uh snack on yo magic yeah but it was snack on yo magic uh it keeps you alive or something like that or it has the power to keep you alive and obviously any kind of yogurt gets called yo play or um you know you work the yo in there go yo was one of yo go was one of them um because you can eat it but the yo magic is also you know there's that slang term for you know, like that's the, the street term for your is yo. So like, you, you know, your, you know, you like yo mama, your, those sorts, you know, the, the, those sorts of things. So the idea that yo magic is actually saying your magic, your magic, snacking on your magic is keeping me alive. So that's where the shark to me could be a Mephisto thing because he's the one who's saying, hey, thanks for giving me your magic because that's feeding me. Hence why hiding the kids because maybe they're the most delicious of uh, magic snacks. Uh, I'll, uh, there's also a theory that the adverts represent the Infinity Stones, which I won't get into this time, but it's... Yeah, I've seen that too. I've heard that, you know, the the, the colours of them are all indicative of that. I think the... Was it the orange juice that was... In last week's ad, the kids were drinking in this one. To me, that's all fun stuff. If you want to go deep diving, you can find. I don't. I don't know how much of it is. Is you know, you'll get to the final episode and go, "Oh my god, that's what it all was." Um, yeah, I think there's also something to be said for yeah, we're just having fun with um, uh, playing with the styles of commercials for the era as well. Um, I was talking to my nephew. As a side note, I was talking to my nephew. Um, who is uh, 15, coming up to 15, and uh, loves loves all this sort of stuff. He and I bond quite a bit talking over things like The Mandalorian and, and Doctor Who and, and WandaVision now. And what was adorable talking to a, a, a young man was he said it took him a little while to get started uh, on the show and connect with it because he thought there was something wrong 
with his feed uh, of his of the episode one because it was in black and white. And he said, I just I, I, I couldn't get into it straight away because I was trying to adjust the colour on my television because I was trying to work out what went wrong, what was going wrong with it. Uh, and I was like, yeah, no, it was, it was meant to be in black and white television. Was <laughs> yeah. He was like, Oh, did you, did you used to turn your television to grayscale? Cause you were getting too addicted to it and you wanted to. Yeah. I don't, I've, I've, I've hit something. <laughs> on, I've hit something on the remote by accident and all the colors gone out of That's my television. Hilarious. What is happening? This is, this is really distracting <laughs> for me trying to understand what this 50 sitcom <laughs> is all about because it's in black and white. That's so cute. I've got uh, two quick questions for you uh, to finish off with. So, do do you want the villain to be Mephisto, Dormammu, Nightmare, or someone else? Is there someone else that you would prefer it to be? You kind of suggested that you'd like it to almost be uh, Magneto, but uh, where 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 do you want it to go? Yeah, I think I'd like it. I'd like it to be Mephisto. I think that's the one that that uh, you know essentially he's he's the Marvel Universe's uh, Satan. So. What a, especially again, knowing that we're dealing with um, Wanda and Doctor Strange, what a what a great character to have, um, and you kind you kind of need something like that after after Thanos. You can go somewhere else. Uh, I don't at a you know with a with a I want I don't want to say lesser villain, but you know I don't know if you want to bring out Juggernaut at some point, go for it. But um, you <laughs> you. You do need, yeah, you need a, a really decent big bad now. And I think he's a good one. And if it turns out to be him, I won't be disappointed that that it's it's where it seemed to be going from the start at all. You know what's kind of interesting is that the comics seem to start suggesting who's going to be coming along in the movies. And it's almost like at a grassroots level, they start introducing characters or bringing them to the fore like there was a lot of Thanos stuff in the lead up to everything happening and it's like geez Thanos has really made a comeback since the 90s and all that kind of stuff and Mephisto's been the bad guy in Jason Aaron and Ed McGuinness's uh run on the Avengers which has been quite fascinating to see but also they've been they're working up to a big storyline where they've got the Squadron Supreme. Do you know those characters? No. So they're an analogue for the Justice League of America. They were first created back in the 60s, so Marvel could have a crossover with DC. They were called the Squadron Sinister, so you had Hyperion, who was like Superman. Yeah, I know those characters. It would be funny if they introduced (laughs) the Squadron Supreme and then did JLA correctly. Well, look, little things like I know I know everyone's aware of this anyway, but just the um, the fact that all the characters were in the comic book costumes was just inspired. And what a great you know under the guise of it's a Halloween episode, and oh, thanks for this costume because I know how you've always liked Mexican luchadors um, to justify what Vision is wearing. Uh, any little nod like that, I think, is is always very very special, and I, they've done that. They've done that well, so yeah. If they could, if they could bring those sorts of characters in, would be tremendous. A piss weak, a piss weak version of Superman. <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, and finally, if Monica's aerospace engineer friend turns out to be Reed Richards, what are you more excited for, Fantastic Four or X Men in the MCU? Ooh, probably Fantastic Four. 
I think because it would be nice to have those. I've always, I've really, I've always enjoyed those characters. Um, in you know, whether it's the you know Human Torch or Silver Surfer versions, or you know, Ben Grimm is great. I love. I don't know. There's something just about you know a guy in orange rocks that's always great. Um, they were one of my first favorite superhero teams, and I don't know that they properly got to certainly you know the 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 original. I say original, but the um, Yoan Griffith. Jessica Alba um, version of of the Fantastic Four was was pretty good. Um, I think the more recent try obviously didn't even make a splash. So it would be good. X-Men have had a good run, I guess is what I'm getting to. X-Men have told some great stories. They've told some not so great stories. They've been able to expand and and stretch out the universe a little bit with with solo films um, from some of the characters and work them into other things it would be nice to to just see what the Fantastic Four can do because they've got so much potential that I don't think has even been scratched on the surface yet. So so they would excite me more. And I'm also just curious to see, I've always thought the impediment to Fantastic Four is Mr. Fantastic's powers, which look ridiculous. But we've But we've already seen Ego, the Living Planet, and Rocket Raccoon and you go, well, I guess you guys might be able to pull it off, right? Yeah, I, I really feel they'll find a way. They, they know what they're doing. They really do. Like, this is, you have to remember now, these characters are in the hands of a team and one man in, in particular who just knows where he's going. And, yeah, it'll be, and this may well be, yeah, we, we get introduced to Reed Richards and, and it's, you know, it's scientist Reed Richards. They haven't even gone up and... Uh, in the ship and and uh, had the crash landing and got their powers or anything like that yet. So, you know, it could be real long game stuff that we're looking I'd at. I'd be into meeting them before they get the powers. That would be a fun. Oh my God. How great would that be? I would love it. If it's not suddenly we have a fully formed superhero team that we've got a long way to go to, to bring them in. That would be, that would be marvelous. And I know so beautifully done so that, that you're ready for it because they're all, you know, they're, they're great characters in their own right without without needing the powers to, to make them interesting. And can we make a quick mention of a of the squid bit with the reference to Kit Oh, Kat? yes. I've mentioned it in the, uh, the intro, which you wouldn't have heard yet, but it's so cute, isn't it? The When that happened, it's like, wait a minute, they were both in Kick-Ass. I'd completely forgotten that. Which I... Yeah, I just thought, oh, same as the, you know, on the marquees, the Incredibles and Parent Trap. And it's just, oh, it's one of those things. We're just referencing the era that we're in. And it wasn't until um, I, because I thought, oh, afterwards, oh, that's right. And that's also, I'm pretty sure that's that's a Marvel, that's a Marvel brand film. I don't think it is. Who do, that's Mark Miller who uh, created it. But I can't forget, uh, I can't remember what imprint he uh published it under which is a good question to ask but yeah i thought uh, oh that's an interesting one that they've i'd seem like that's exactly what they were referencing and then yeah went to look up uh, if there was any other connection to it and then immediately got the the the, the yeah the, the two actors that have played quicksilver were in that movie which is just amazing that was an image comic that mark miller oh right okay you know i think uh, that had uh Hit girl dropping C bombs, so there was no way that was coming out. Oh of Marvel. yeah, absolutely. 
absolutely. That's true. Well, that was great. Uh, thank you for uh, being on the show, and uh, I look forward to catching up next week so we can uh, unpack where the hell this is going. Oh, it's great. It's it's unfolding nicely. I love it. I love where we've gone this week, and uh, you know, after the big reveal of episode five, six settled in really nicely with with more little breadcrumbs leading us to the finish line. I can't wait. Thank you. Time to bring Rachel Melanta in for her hot takes on which aliens the Doctor has had sex with over the years. This is pretty much covering only from Eccleston onwards and Rachel felt like she still doesn't quite have the angle on Jodie Whittaker's Doctor to make a decision. But the rest of her thoughts are included and they're out there like they're really out there it's a fun catch-up I had a lot of fun with this podcast when Rachel brought up this topic I couldn't think of anyone that Jodie's doctor would have had sex with because I think she's asexual don't you like I that's not a criticism by the way I just don't find her to have kind of any buzz going and I, I did wonder a couple of times if there's an attraction with Yaz and there was only one episode where I thought, oh, there's something about to happen and that was the episode with Nicholas Tesla. But otherwise, she hasn't sparked that vibe in me. Do you agree? If you feel like being a part of this ridiculous chat, head over to our Facebook page, join our private conversation group and leave your thoughts. I've written a post there that you can tell us all your ideas on who the Doctor's had sex with and if you agree with me on my take on Jodie Whittaker... It's Doctor Who. There are no incorrect takes. It's such a long and varied show. We're all coming at it from very different angles. So I would love to hear what you have to think. And also, (laughs) you know what I'll do is I'll share some of your thoughts in the next episode. So uh, come along and uh, as I said, I'll, I'll leave a subject heading there and you can leave it underneath. But in the meantime, sit back and hear Rachel just come in hot with her Doctor Who theories. I can't remember what season of Doctor Who you're up to in your rewatch because you've gone back from Christopher Eccleston. Is that right? Yes. I'm currently on season nine, I believe. Um, yes, I'm back with... Um, oh, Nicole. okay. And have have you yeah, yeah. have you watched all these seasons a few times or is this something that uh, this is your first time going through the rewatch? I've watched pretty much up to where I am a few times. Like I've watched up to the end of Capaldi a few times, but I've only watched Jodie Whittaker once. Like, but all the earlier ones I've watched, <laughs> particularly Eccleston. Oh, that's your guy. Well, he's not my Tennant's my guy. Eccleston, I rate as. Oh, really? On on the, your uh, Doctor Who ratings? So I'm guessing since you've only seen Jodie uh, her stuff once. Uh, do you do you have her ranked yet, or do you need to see where she finishes up before you give her a ranking? She has not been ranked yet. Um, she's still chilling in that she she's in limbo. I've ranked the other four, and um, she I feel like she just hasn't had her opportunity yet to really come alive. Like I feel like all the other all the others kind of have had their real moment to show off what kind of doctor they're being, what, you know, I feel like they've kind of had more of an opportunity in their own sort of special storyline. And I feel like she hasn't, I, I feel like I just haven't fully seen her yet. There's not that episode <laughs> that you can point to and say, that's the one. So, so what would you say is Eccleston's number one 
episode. I actually love the one with the um, where the it crashes into the Big Ben, the Slovene. I think the Slovene are actually probably my favorite. Really? Alien of all of them, I just yeah. Because firstly, I love the earlier seasons because um, like the CGI is very questionable, and I find that very amusing. I love that, um, and I just I just love the Slovene. I just love them. I just. <laughs> the early CGI is feeling very much in keeping with the original series in that, yes, the CGI has improved, but it's still a little bit dodgy. But it's supposed to be. Like, that's the thing. I was talking about this the other day with it, when you introduce somebody new to Doctor Who now, like they've never seen it, never heard of it. And it's not very big in Canada. So, like, most of my friends have never watched Doctor Who. And you kind of have to explain to them that it's supposed to be a little bit camp like it's supposed to be a little bit corny and um just extra you know it's not it's not really supposed to like a lot of the aliens you're just kind of supposed to get the gist you know like yep that's doing that it's not yeah I don't know it's not supposed to be well it's also family entertainment that's the thing that lots of people forget especially some older fans when they get all bent out of shape over things and you know and it's like you, you know a grandfather can watch this with their granddaughter and everyone can everyone in between can enjoy it and so anyway so uh, that's your favorite Eccleston what's the uh, tenant episode because for me Eccleston is uh, the Dalek episode where that was the first time that you kind of really got a sense of before we knew what the time war was and where the doctor had been in that uh, whole adventure that was the first time that you went oh man this guy is struggling I was very invested for, with Eccleston from the beginning like I always I, I don't know I always I really liked him as the doctor um I think it's a shame he left after one season but I mean you gotta do what you gotta do I respect it you know but um I yeah I do think his Dalek episodes are the best Dalek episode you know what I mean like I think he is the strongest in that yeah I really liked him I thought he was the sexiest doctor really wow that's interesting and what about Tennant Tennant honestly I have a theory with Tennant. I think Tennant is the best doctor, but it took me a minute to warm up to him. Like when he first, the first regeneration, the like Christmas episode where he's in bed the entire time, pretty much. It took me a minute. I think it took like three or four episodes before I liked him. I was really kind of anti-Tennant when he first came in. Um, And every time I rewatch, I kind of like, I go through that because I was so sort of attached to Eccleston. And then I I let him go, you know, I let it go. But then I warm up to Tenet. But I love anything with the Weeping Angels with Tenet. But my theory with him, because I've spoken to you about this in the past, that I have a theory about the Doctor bangs different aliens. Well, hang on. I want to get to that. but so Tenet, it was about two or three episodes in, not a specific episode, but mainly the, the Blink episode is the one where you kind of point to him. And that terrified me too, because I have a fear of statues. No, I understand that. I think that's one of those uh, fears that more people have that they didn't realise until they saw the episode blink. Oh, I've been like fully aware. I've always been scared of statues. I used to walk home from the casino when I used to work there in Sydney. And I used to add an extra 10 minutes to my trip to avoid the Queen Victoria building because I'm scared of the Queen Victoria statue. Uh, Would have really struggled in uh, Gothic days. Uh, What about uh, Matt Smith? He's my least favorite. (laughs) That's fascinating. I never liked him. I, I respect what Matt Smith did with the character. He went for like a goofier, cuter doctor. 
I get that. I respect what he what he was going for, but I never trusted him as the doctor. And I feel like they, and I appreciate that he had a rough go, like following Tennant, who is like everyone's favorite pretty much. But I don't know, like I just, I never fully believed him as the doctor. And I felt like at certain times, like his goofier kind of jokey, oh, I don't know what's going on sort of vibe at times. It just, I need to trust my doctors. <laughs> That's it for me. And I just never really connected with him on that. Having said that, I do think he had one of the best companions with Amy Pond, though I don't understand why Rory was there. I think Rory's only role was because the previous companion, like Martha, was in love with the Doctor, right? So I think that because they kind of had Rose, who was like the sexual tension. Yeah, but you had Donna straight after Martha and Yeah, yeah, but she can't but Martha then came back for a minute. You know what I mean? Like they were kind of okay. intertwined. Yeah. And I don't really even count Donna as a real companion for half of it, right? Really? But she was sort of into him as well. Like, but I feel like there'd been like no. a lot of romantic There was a very, very clear like, delineation of just being mates. Like there's that point where he says, I'm just looking for a mate and she freaks out because she thinks he wants to have sex with her. There was. No. I never saw tension between them. I love Catherine Tate, but I saw tension there. Yeah. That's so funny because I only ever saw them as as pals that were really like really caring of each other, but I never saw any tension. Whereas Matt Smith, I totally bought he was the doctor quicker than anyone who's ever regenerated. And it was from the moment from the moment he started trying food. I thought that was just a different character. I enjoyed him as the character he was playing, but I did not believe like I just I don't know whether I was just so invested in the previous two. Like I just couldn't imagine Tennant doing some those sorts of things. Like, I, I don't know. I just didn't buy it. I didn't buy it. Yeah, that's because he wasn't Tennant's doctor. If he came out and gone, oh, look at me, I'm the sex god doctor, you would have been going, oh, he's just doing a Tennant. He also was darker as well. Like when he would, uh, when he's talking to young Amelia and he says, uh, you know, when parents tell you that everything's going to be okay, but you don't really believe them because you think they're lying. And she says, yeah. And he looks at her and says, everything's going to be okay. And you go, oh, this guy is fantastic. So, but what about, what about Capaldi then? Loved him the moment he regenerated. I was on board with Capaldi. I, given I just love Peter Capaldi to start with, but I like just as an actor, I think he's amazing, but I think he's, I love his kind of darker, angrier edge. Like he's kind of got this more shorter fuse, less shit-taking edge. And I just love him. I think the moment he regenerated, I was fully on board with Capaldi, 100%. And what was his episode, do you think? Oh, hang on. What was the Matt Smith episode that you, what was the one that you said that you liked? Um, Matt Smith episode, I think like the vampires maybe. Like, really? I really enjoyed him with the vampires. The vampires. I think that was kind of the first episode where I kind of went with him. Like, I don't know. I thought it just showed a complex side of him. What about the two-parter with the Weeping Angels, which is like, which is the aliens to the alien. But I've given Weeping Angels to Tenant. You're allowed to share. What are these self-imposed no. rules? <laughs> <laughs> I have very strict rules around my doctors. I don't know. Why you are imposing these upon yourself. Okay. All right. The vampires episode. That's great. I like him with the vampires. I liked, um, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I, I saw some tension there. I liked the, him getting kind of caught in there. I don't, I don't know. I liked that episode. I thought he was really good with like the period episodes, like in weird ways. I, I liked him as that, but I don't know. I liked a lot of his storyline with, 
um, Amy Pond. I thought she was a great companion. But going back to Rory, the, I don't understand him there. The, I really think the only reason he is in there is because the previous companions had been like kind of a sexual tension sort of thing and they needed to delineate, like they needed to specifically say this is different. So they added in a husband or boyfriend when they first started in order to, kind, you know what I mean, like delineate that that's not that. And also, I mean, like the whole River Song storyline. But, yeah, I think that's his only point because he just sort of seemed to be there a lot of the time. Well, I liked Rory because he wasn't necessarily taken in by some of the Doctor's excesses and he kind of helped point out things to Amelia, which were, hey, Hmm. this is a bit insane. And uh, I I think it's important to have the two of them together because you actually see them grow you know, it's a very young relationship when you first see them together and then over mm. time it becomes this stronger bond and they grow together. Uh, I, I quite like Rory. I like that. I appreciate that he played a part because of the River Song storyline because I think River Song's probably, m- like, my favourite, like, side character. I love her. See, I love River Song as well, but I have... Uh, there were a group of girls that used to uh, go to the uh, comedy show that I ran in uh, Melbourne, uh, The Shelf, and... Uh, Rebecca and Sam and any of them who might be listening and I would talk to them afterwards because they were all big Doctor Who fans and they hated River Song. Hated River Song. And I just I just could not comprehend why. And they I can't go into all of the reasons because it'd be an hour and a half podcast, but they would just bang on on these certain points. So I'm always this is what I love about Doctor Who is that you can be a fan of it, but because it changes so much, you can have such different takes on it. Definitely. No, I absolutely love River Song. It actually like annoyed me there wasn't more. I kind of wanted her, you know, like um, when he offered to take her along as a companion, I wanted her to be a companion, like properly. I wanted to see them be married. I wanted that. I wanted to see the doctor be in love. I uh, and the for me the Capaldi episode that is like his the episode that you would point to is when he takes a billion years to punch through a wall of diamond. Mm, yes, 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 yes. No, I, I, I just honestly I love him from day one. I was very on board with Capaldi. I, I'm an uh, like. Clara, I like as a companion as well. Honestly, the only companion I haven't liked is Martha, I've, but Rose is the best companion. Poor Martha. Yeah. Martha Martha cops uh, some uh, short shrift. I think um, I don't think Rose much of a fan of Martha, but she kind of leaves for the most interesting reason in in some ways. In that, just kind of knowing that you're never going to live up to a, you know, rejecting a situation where you know you're always going to be second best is uh, weirdly. Uh, what more people should be doing and kind of a little bit ahead of the curve. She just annoys me that she never, ever, like, I feel like half of Martha's episodes were just, like, helping Martha get out of a situation that she wouldn't have been in if she'd just listened to the Doctor. Like, I feel like all she did was, like, she just, don't do this, and then Martha straight away did that. And it just sort of felt like it became a little bit formulaic with her at times, where it was like, okay, she's just kind of... She also gets that amazing two-parter where the Doctor hides his personality in John Smith and uh, she's the maid and she's the one that has to kind of get him out of that. Yeah, okay, that's very fair. They were really great episodes. Oh, like they're scorchers. And the and the ending to that is dark, dark, dark. That is actually one, probably one of my top five, like, episode arcs. My favourite episode, um, like, of um, all of them is The Day of the Doctor. It's a special episode. 
And I know it's a bit of a cliche one because everyone loves it because you've got lots of doctors in the one. But I loved it start to finish. I loved Tennant and Smith together. I loved that Tom Baker made like a little at the end as the curator that made me happy. I loved I just, I loved that episode. That's my favorite. But no, I, yeah, that one. And um, yeah, Matt Smith's Weeping Angels ones were actually really good too. I know I just took Weeping Angels away from him, but they were there. Like Tennant gets Alien and Matt Smith gets Aliens. That's what you get with those versions of the Weeping Angels. I, I think I'm just not ready to love Matt Smith. I don't think so either. Funnily enough, he is my favourite, and I think uh, he's your favourite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think I think that first season of Matt Smith is pretty much perfect. I think there were some really, really cute moments with him. I think, like on a more like he had some like emotional moments. I liked, I loved Amy Pond's, but I don't know. I just felt like the entire time he was there, I kept on like being pulled out of episodes because I just kind of went. Uh, I don't really trust you. <laughs> so the, I want to get back to you. You've thought about the doctor and who they've had sex with, uh, which aliens, right? I take that very, very seriously. No, I get that. I didn't <laughs> doubt it. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm guessing you don't really have like, sometimes it's easier to have a proper take on a doctor once they're done as the doctor. So we're, we're leaving Jodie Whittaker out of this and not assigned her an alien yet because well I just feel like once again I haven't fully seen her she hasn't come into her own yet yeah I feel like there's not quite like I really love Jodie as a an actor and uh, I've, I've loved her in other things that I've watched and I like her take on the doctor but there isn't quite that episode like even probably her best episode where we discovered the Doctor that we'd never heard of before, Doctor Doctor Ruth. Oh, yeah, that's definitely her best episode so far. Yeah, and because it gives us so much to do and she's just, you know, so good at it. That's a really good way of putting it. I feel like at times she doesn't have enough to do. There's been too many companions and I would have preferred if the when the series came back, even though I loved Graham, uh, but I would have preferred it was just the Doctor and Yaz to be honest, and I would have just been totally into a series of the two of them because uh, I think Yaz has the potential to be really interesting and I never really cared about Ryan. So I would have preferred to have seen the two of them. And then you get more time for both characters to build a little bit and there would have been an interesting dichotomy between the person who's been raised as a, a policewoman to the Doctor who is... This Doctor's quite childlike and, uh, you know very much leans more into the pacifism. So that would have been interesting to explore. And I really like that with her. Like, I like, as you said, like the character there. And I actually love the regeneration as a female. Like, I love that as a, like, not even from like a female representation point of view, but more just like, I love that as just a character feature that the doctor can regenerate as any gender, anything. I would be interested in whether like future regenerations, now that we know it's more unlimited, situation with the regenerations whether we will see different races and stuff like that and that sort of representation in the future as the doctor and, but i absolutely love the character that um like the doctor can regenerate as any gender whatever um but yeah i agree that i just feel like at times she doesn't have enough to do i feel but so i haven't assigned her an alien yet. <laughs> but uh, just before we get to that so how would you feel if the doctor regenerated as an alien like, or does the doctor always have to be human? Well, human looking, 
But but do you know? Yeah, what I mean? human lost because they technically the doctor is an alien. But no, no, it needs to be human. That's where I draw the line. Right? Seems 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 kind of racist, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> I draw I draw the line at that point. I need no need. I, I'm sorry. You don't want a whole season of the d- doctor looking like a Dalek with Tom Baker's scarf wrapped around its sucker. <laughs> Just a bow tie like Matt Smith, but that's it. The comic book writer and author uh, Alan Moore, when uh, back in the 80s, uh, there's the, uh, have you ever heard of, you know, the superhero, the Green Lantern? So there's, uh, in the for people who have never read the comics, they're uh, an intergalactic police force and there's lots of Green Lanterns. And, and invariably, when you would read the comics in the past, Pretty much all the aliens looked a little bit humanoid, etc. And then uh, Alan Moore introduced this idea where, <laughs> you know, one of the Green Lanterns was uh, from a planet where it was all bacteria. So it was just bacteria that was, and it would inf- infect people and give them colds. And that's how it would take down bad guys. And uh, another alien that had no sight, so it just worked on sound. And I wonder if uh, you could take the Doctor into a really bizarre area it would be good for cartoons or something i wouldn't want to see an entire season of it but like i would be totally open to like a special where he's just bacteria just bacteria i would watch that a hundred percent i would watch that and we'd all kind of go like it'd be that episode where like i don't think it could go longer than an episode but it would be that episode where forevermore which like remember that time it was just bacteria and that would just be brilliant remember dr influenza <laughs> All right, so you've thought a lot about the Doctor and which aliens they may have had sex with. As as an introduction here, I just have always had trouble believing that there is this alien with two hearts who looks like any of the regenerations of the Doctor, who is saving the world and is never getting laid. Like, I mean, we hear, like, um, like Matt Smith and that refer to, like, sleeping with Elizabeth I and stuff randomly, like, as offside jokes. But otherwise... He's just never having any fun, right? I just don't believe that. I, and I mean, he's got, he's kind of vulnerable. He's sort of lonely. I mean, like someone's going to try and fix him, you know? I reckon, I just don't believe that it's never going down. He brings his house everywhere with him. Seems a bit creepy when you put it that way. Yeah, a little bit creepy. Um, But, I mean, I love it. I mean, it's kind of going back to like, Oh my god! Is doc is the doctor like van life? But before van life was a yeah, maybe should go and check to see if the doctor's on TikTok. Yeah, the doctor invented living in a van. <laughs> I'd love to see an episode of uh, Doctor Who and the TARDIS has got like artwork spray painted on the side. So Christopher Eccleston. Yeah, I reckon Levine. I said it earlier. I reckon this episode, and I reckon that hundred percent. Really, hundred percent. But the real question there is going to be the only question. The only question is whether. At the time it occurred, was the Slovene wearing the human skin suit or was like oh natural? You know what was the scenario? I mean, that is the only question. Other than that, it definitely happened. Well, the the good thing about that is what it suggests is that if the Slovene is not in human form or wearing a human kind of mask, as it were, that means that that doctor is not uh, looking down on people who have curves. And I think that's beautiful. And that's that's a very nice thing to think about with Christopher Eccleston. And I think Christopher Eccleston would be that way. 
I believe that. They're a bit farty though, aren't they? Like, do you think the Slitheen accidentally farts in front of him and he's like, don't worry about it, it's all good? They only fart in um, the skin suits. If they're not oh, wearing yeah, of the course. Suits, they don't fart. So if so, it could only be one or the other. He's either got farty or Slitheen. Either way, he's not judging. Yeah, honestly, I'm on board with it and I reckon it's happening. Um, because I've weighed up like different things here, right? And I think he had a lot of time alone because um, Rose was off a lot. She, they were separated a lot during those episodes. And I, see, because you have to weigh all these things up. You know, when I look into which alien the doctors banged, I think about like who was the companion at the time? Would that companion have allowed that to happen? Did they have time? You know, these are the things, you know. So... I think Rose was off a lot. They were left alone in a lot of ways. Yeah, I reckon it went down. There were two, there were separate episodes, you know, like they were separated at that time, which means why did they come back? I'm just going to give you my comparisons to these things. So uh, that's your take on Christopher Eccleston. Uh, My take is that he had too much PTSD and he was probably more likely to be uh, drinking alone in an intergalactic bar and being hit on and just saying, I'm not really up for it. But anyway, that's... I'm not saying it's correct. He's the sexiest doctor. For you. <laughs> you don't find Christopher Eggleston sexy, Justin? No, nah, not really. Like, I love him, but not really. Now nah, something's wrong with you. Look, we need to move on because I need to get on to David Tennant, right? Because I have very serious thoughts about this. So he was the most scientific doctor, you would say. Like, you know, he had the most sciency ways, right? So I think... He did a weeping angel. And let me talk you through it, okay? Goodness. Right, because I think he would be the only doctor sciencey enough to work out how. Because, remember, you can't touch them and you can't look at them. Because if you look at them, they're going to be stone. And you can't bang stone. Well. So he needs to keep his eyes shut, but also not touch them. And I reckon he'd be the only one smart enough to work that out. But hang on, so what are you saying? Work out how to have sex with them? Like, yeah, I think that the relationship could flourish with Tennant. That's my theory. But then I have to think about, like, how? Like, that's a lot of layers of protection to not in any way touch. And also, we don't really know how they move and operate when not stoned because we only ever see them frozen. Like, they move, but they're frozen at all times, you know? So, like... Like maybe, uh, yeah, that's, to me, I think that went down 100%. Well, maybe he was having sex and he was just blinking really quickly, so that meant they were moving really quickly. Like he would have, like it would have been, like that's got to be painful because they'd just be like stone around him. Look, this is your theory. I'm just trying to work out how it would have happened. Well, that's what I'm trying to work out. I'm assuming he closed his eyes the entire time and everyone was wearing clothes and maybe there was like a full body condom. That's my theory. It's a condom that would be bigger on the inside as well. You know, I see that's interesting, your take on David Tennant. I just think Tennant probably, his doctor just had sex with everybody because I feel like he's the post-PTSD doctor and he is like enjoying life and everyone's hitting on him and he's a little bit like, well, I am the doctor and I look fantastic. Why would I not let them have a great opportunity to uh, whip it out? No, I think he was flirty, but I very much got the impression he was too serious. I reckon of all the doctors, he arguably probably had the least sex. Wow. This is going to be controversial. This is controversial. I cannot wait to hear what people say to this because I feel like there is going to be every type of reaction. I want all of them. I want, tweet at me, guys. I want to hear your opinion on this. <laughs> 
Okay, so Matt Smith, I since you are a hater, uh, what what do you think of like what do you think Matt Smith's doing? Oh, well, okay, I reckon Matt Smith probably had the most sex of all of them. Matt Smith. Yep. We have very different takes on Doctor <laughs> Who. This is fascinating. All right. He literally said it like three different times. He like was the only one who explicitly mentioned it that he kept having sex. Yes. He talks about, well, like, I guess more relationships, but, like, his story, and he kept on kind of, like, set, talking and making comments about, like, Elizabeth I and that. Well, but that was, uh, that was Tennant, wasn't it, in the, in the Day of the Doctor? Yeah, it was when he made out with her and he was also making out with the Zygon. In, Tennant, there was definitely, in the Day of the Doctor, Tennant was the one who, like, got married to her or whatever, but Matt, there was... Um, Heaps of one-liners with Matt Smith where he like commented about it. Matt, Matt Smith's doctor just ended up in situations where he was trying to get out of them, like when Marilyn Monroe was trying to marry him. Yeah, definitely. But no, I'm positive. This. I, I reckon he was flirtier. I reckon. I reckon he kind of played the like cute guy trope. I reckon he was. Yeah. All right. So hang on. What's the? What's the? There's an actual name for that. What's the the cute guy trope? There's because uh, you're being negative aren't you no not really well i can't kind of yeah because you hate him i i don't hate him i just well, think he's my least favorite i still liked him i just didn't trust him as the doctor i don't hate him justin i don't want matt smith listening to this and thinking i hate him that feels like that's what you're saying so okay all right what about capaldi then where does capaldi sit okay i reckon capaldi a hundred percent somehow like i love him I reckon it was the ghost episode. Oh, really? 100%. Because there was a lot of suspicious storyline there as to how he ended up a ghost, right? Because you know how he was a ghost and there was the time loop sort of, and he was sort of back in time but forward in time, everything happened? Well, that had to have occurred through touching, right? Or through banging, Justin. Right. No, 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 I got it. It's okay. Like, I'm, I might be 48, <laughs> and uh, but I, uh, I'm across your euphemism there of touching. Thank you. I was worried I was too subtle. <laughs> no, 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 I was across it. Right, that's interesting. See, I always thought maybe Capaldi and uh, – because didn't they have that uh, really romantic long year or something with the River Song? I can't quite remember that uh, Christmas episode. That was – they went to that place that lasted for – like it was like 20 – it was a day on the planet, but that day – stretched out for a long time. It's been a while since I've seen it. So I felt like he was possibly a little bit more romantic. Do you think there was ever anything with Missy? No. No? No. Do you think Missy went back in time uh, to different timelines and tried to have sex with the doctor at any point? Or Or are they just mates? I think they're just mates because I think that they've been mates since they were like children, right? Like they were always mates. And I think he... I never saw that as, like, I saw, saw that as flirtatious, but I saw that as more platonic long-term friends. I never I never thought anything happened between him and Missy. A little no. bit like Donna. No. No, I would not cave. Donna, there was some tension there. Okay. All right. I hope you regret this because for the next, like, week and a half, I'm just going to randomly send you tiny snippets of scenes off YouTube. Or <laughs> no, that's like, great. Even I'll be like, look at the tension. <laughs> yeah, I am completely fine with that. All right. Well, that's great. Like, but this is genuinely what I love about uh, Doctor Who fandom, which is mm. there, there's so many different takes and so many different ways into it, and people can have completely different impressions, etc. So, uh, you know, people should go to the Facebook page and write to us and let us know 
Who who do you think the doctors had sex with? I'll put it up on the Facebook page. Oh, please, please, definitely. I really want to know thoughts because I eventually, like I have a dream of turning this into a podcast and calling it The Doctor Who Did Me and just doing a different alien every episode though, like, and but making it like really investigative, like almost like true crime. And we have to go back to the circumstances of the entire episode and working out whether the doctor did that alien. And anyone who is writing in, if they want to go old school doctor as well, if they want to, you know, make a suggestion on Peter Davidson or Tom Baker or go all the way back to William Hartnell, which would be strange, but, you know, let us let us know because we are curious and we quite clearly have way too much time on our hands to be wondering who this fictional character is having sex with. Oh, 100%, because I have very strong thoughts about most of them as well. So let's bring it in. And I will argue it because I get a bit aggressive about it. So definitely bring it in. More aggressive, the better. All right. Thank you very much. And let's chat again soon. to Rove and Rachel for joining me for our latest episode. Uh, Remember, if you'd like to share your thoughts on WandaVision, which aliens the Doctor has had sex with, or anything else you'd like to share with us, come over to our Facebook page and sign up for our private section where you can discuss anything without fear of spoilers. We have a normal Facebook page. I use that to update when podcasts are ready, etc. But the private page is where we really dig into things. You can also find me on Twitter at JustinHamilton underscore and on Instagram at JustinHamiltonComedian. There's also a new blog up at my site at JustinHamilton.com.au where you can also find some short stories, some older blogs, all sorts of things. Can I say my name enough in one sentence? (laughs) Uh, There's another podcast coming out this week for episode two of The Leftovers. Thank you for all the kind responses about that first episode. And hello to everyone who is watching it for the first, second or Upteenth time. Next week, Ben Elwood returns to continue our Sophia Coppola series with Lost in Translation. So if you'd like to watch that before the podcast comes out, you have a week to squeeze that in. Uh, I'm also working on some new segments for this show as well. Uh, my old pal, Garth Jones, he's the author of Homebrew Vampire Bullets. He's a mate of mine who's worked with me behind the scenes. For people who used to go to the shelf, he designed and set up all of our posters. He's worked on my posters. He did the poster for Johnny and Mary Forever, 1994. Uh, He's going to be sharing uh, an osploitation segment for Big Squid. And we're going to start that off in a fun place before digging into the weirder aspects of that genre. I'm across osploitation, but I don't know it. And this is his wheelhouse, and I'm really looking forward to that. So we'll we'll have that coming up soon. If you're enjoying this podcast, please give us a top review on your favourite platforms. And this year, we're all about growing the listenership. So if you have some like-minded pals that you think would enjoy the work my friends and I put into this, please recommend us. Word of mouth is still the best way to grow a product correctly. So your patronage is welcome. It just makes a difference. Like, I know I listen to things that are suggested by friends more than when I'm just reading text on a screen. So feel free to uh, tell people about us. Also, feel free not to. Like, you can just keep it to us. That's fine as well. I know you would only suggest this to the right people. Uh, I trust you. That's what I'm saying. I just trust you. This week, we're leaving off on a quote by Russian filmmaker Andrei Tarkovsky, who said, What is art? 
It's like a declaration of love, the consciousness of our dependence on each other, a confession, an unconscious act that, nonetheless, reflects the true meaning of life, love and sacrifice. Until then. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.